You're listening to The Sports Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. This is The the, the Sports Show. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, the show that brings you all the latest sports news from the Thames Valley area. I'm Maria Sapsinos and over the next hour I will be taking you through the top sports stories from this week alongside co-hosts Ed Tarleton and Jacob Hawley. So stay tuned as we get stuck into another episode of Extra Time. On tonight's show we chat about all things football including Reading's win over Barnsley earlier this week. We also have an interview with Bayo Akinfenwa from Wickham Wanderers surrounding their quest to make playoffs after a 2-0 victory over Doncaster, alongside chatting to Maidenhead United's assistant manager, Ryan Peters. Our attention then turns to netball, and specifically Eagles Netball Club in Maidenhead, where we'll be chatting to Tina Beringer about the club setup and their hopeful journey to reaching the national playoffs. That's not forgetting our Hot Topic section where we'll be talking all about Cameron Norrie's victory at Indian Wells and what's next for Emma Radicanu. As always, the infamous River Radio Predictions League will conclude the show. All of that and much more on this week's Extra Time. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, the resident sports show on River Radio. It's me again hosting this week, which I'm sure you'll all be glad to hear. I am with a slightly different panel, however, this week, and we've got a great show lined up for you again, with everything from football to netball to tennis covered. I did just want to mention again that we have moved the show to a slightly later time on Wednesdays, and this will be a permanent time change, so it's 7 till 8pm every Wednesday for your weekly fix of Extra Time. Tonight I am joined by two amazing co-hosts, that's right, I've got Ed Tarleton here with me in the studio. So Ed, how long has it been since we've been sat in the studio together? Well, we've just been sat here trying to work it out, and I think it's been about eight weeks, hasn't it? Eight it's been weeks. a long, it's been a long time, a really long time, uh, but it's good to be back, I just about found my way here again, and you're on the desk, which is good, because I've completely forgotten how it works, it's genuinely been that long, but no, great to be back on the show after all this time, yourself, Will, Sam, thank you so much to everyone who's been involved, it's been really, really good listening to you all, it's just nice to uh, be able to get stuck into it myself once again. And you are top of the predictions league, joint top I have to say, but how, how does that feel? First time back in the studio after a long while and you've kind of got that, that yeah. crown. Yeah, I mean I'm not too, you'll be pleased to hear I'm not too big time, I'm still I'm still able to kind of liaise with the little people even though I'm top of the predictions league. I'm top on points and I'm in like a three-way tie for that. The problem that, that we have is that because we've had Jacob and, and Abby enter late, we're now into a points per game system which nobody likes, um, but on points per game, Abby's actually top because she got four points in her first game last week, uh, whereas I'm five points from two games because I think we all had a pretty slow start apart from Ben. But Ben has now kind of redeemed himself by getting zero in the week just gone. So he's now quite near the bottom, having been top last week. But uh, look, all to play for in October. Still a little bit more time to go. So fingers crossed for, for this week's predictions. Yeah, I love being top of the league, especially after Ben's glum face sat next to me last week. So <laughs> as it was top. And the only one top. But you haven't been here for a while, and I thought we'd bring that to our listeners' attention. 
you you have a new job. I do. Yeah, no, I've just moved. I've just moved department now. So uh, I was previously working for the Premier League studio department. However, uh, I've now moved across and I'm working exclusively for a show called Premier League Preview, where we go out and speak to ex-pros about the games coming up at the weekend and also integrate those pieces with uh, sound on tape pieces from uh, the managers and the current players as well so yeah that's been really good I've been able to chat to some really interesting people in the last couple of weeks including uh, Chris Sutton and Andy Cole and Glenn Murray and uh, yeah I've really enjoyed it but uh, it's nice to be able to come back here and, and chat to you guys as well. And we are both also joined by Jacob Hawley who is on Zoom with us uh, you might know Jacob from his amazing debut on the show a few weeks back as he is our Reading FC correspondent how does it feel to be on your first show as a panellist, Jacob? Firstly, can you hear me? Yes, right. we can hear you well. You can and this time. Every Zoom call for the last I was 18 months. I was going to have the same problem as last time. But, um, but no, it's good. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be to be on the live show. It's a really great opportunity and I'm, I'm very grateful for it. So looking forward to it. And how's your week been? Yeah, not bad. Um, done a little bit of reporting uh, here in the just through the uni on some of the uni games. Um and uh, yeah, it's been not bad. Not bad, thank you. Perfect. Well, there you have it, the hosts for tonight's extra time show. Now it's time for our top story of the week. Uh, we're kicking off today's show with a one-nil Reading win against Barnsley. The brilliant goal from John Swift came in the seventy-seventh minute after a long ball from Scott Dan. This uh, last win means that Reading have had five wins in six games, with their last defeat being to Derby County. The team are currently sat seventh in the seventh position on the table and are just one point from playoffs. In terms of form, they're second in the table, only behind league leaders Bournemouth, who remain unbeaten. Jacob, as our Reading FC correspondent, what do you think of John Swift's form in this match against uh, Barnsley? Well, I mean... Uh, I imagine most Reading fans would have seen the goal by now. It was um, a pretty special one. Scott Dan played a nice sort of a good through ball, but he left Swift with a lot to do, obviously. Um, and he just cut inside and kept going and going and going, rounded the keeper and slotted into an empty net. And I think that goal was sort of a perfect summary of of how he's played this season. He's been he's been absolutely brilliant for Reading, and he's he's been involved in thirteen of Reading's eighteen goals this season. So I mean that's. That's a, a massive contribution, and Reading probably wouldn't be where they are without him. John, uh, John, it's uh, Jacob. Jacob, we're talking <laughs> about John Swift. John, no, Jacob, it's Ed here. Sorry. Um, first and foremost, I'm, I want to ask you a little bit about the way Reading have started the season because it's in massive, massive contradiction to one of the Reading podcasters we had on right, right before the start of the season, who was actually tipping you more for a relegation battle than how you have performed. But just quickly, a word, a word on John Smith. I'm a Crystal Palace fan, so we've recently taken Michael Elise from you. Thanks very much for him, by the way. Um, obviously, <laughs> you, you know you've sold players, including you know uh, to, to teams like Bayern. Munich and what have you what do you think in terms of being able to keep hold of John Swift because the form he's in surely Premier League clubs are going to be looking at him uh, I'd imagine so I mean it's yeah we we're known to have a lot of players whose contracts are up at the end of the season John Swift being one of them um which doesn't leave us with an awful lot of choice really in the market come January it's either you know we either decide do we keep John Swift for the rest of the season bank on perhaps making the playoffs and and see if we can keep hold of him then do we sort of t- try and tie him down now, given the financial restraints that we have at the moment? That could be quite difficult. Or do we cash in in January, similarly to that, how we did with uh, Nick Blackman a few years ago, when he was in a hot, hot streak of form? Um, 
cashed in in January, sold him to Derby um, because he was going to go in the summer. Uh, and that we might see a situation like that with Swift, uh, considering how well he's been playing. And he's been linked with the likes of Norwich, uh, Sheffield United, I know, um, Bournemouth. So a lot of clubs are, you know, there or thereabouts in terms of playing in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, you can certainly see it, can't you? Talking about the playoffs there, how integral do you think he would be to a playoff charge, particularly in the second half of the season? And do you think it's too early to be talking about the playoffs? Because you mentioned those financial constraints that Reading are are working with. And it's almost a game-by-game scenario, really, isn't it? Because in the Championship, anyone can beat anyone, can't they? Yeah, I mean, the Championship is brilliant. It's one of the most unpredictable leagues in the world, if not the most. Um, But... Yeah, I mean, keeping John Swift would be absolutely vital if we wanted to, uh, you know, go for the playoffs. I think, like you say, we're taking it game by game at the moment because although the rumours have died down a little bit, we are sort of waiting to hear about this six, maybe nine point um, deduction, uh, which could obviously play a massive ma- massive role in us missing out on the playoffs. Uh, of course, if we win tonight, we could move into fifth, uh, in, into the top six, which would be, you know, it would be a brilliant start. Um, considering people were even calling for Velko Panovic's name a few weeks ago. Um, so, you know, we're, we're really pleased with how we're doing and John Swift's been a massive part of that. If he was to go in January, I imagine we would probably not make the playoffs. And obviously tonight, Reading are up against Blackpool. What are your sort of thoughts about that match? <laughs> uh, well, obviously, like you said, of course, Sam, we're in great form. Um, five wins in six. Um had our best start at home uh, to a season since 2013-14, picking up 13 points at the, uh, the select car leasing stadium, it's called now. Um, and, and you know, we're happy with that. Um, it'll not be not great the name of the stadium, I presume. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be great to be back for tonight, but they're, they're not as easy as they might look. Um, Neil Critchley's side have made it a great start to the championship, to life in the championship. They're 15th at the moment. Um, many might not have predicted that they would have thought they'd be down near the relegation spots but I leave, believe they're about 8 points or so clear 7 or 8 points of the relegation zone uh, and you know Shane Lavery up front he scored 5 goals already for them he's had a great start to the season um, so they're, they're no easy opponent as, as certainly we can't be complacent um, but it would be it would be disappointing to see us not take 3 points uh, this evening I think considering our form it's an interesting one, this, isn't it? Because the thing about league football particularly is it very much is a case that anyone can beat anybody else. You obviously were mentioning just there, you know, the, the concept of a potential points deduction. Derby are on the back of a points deduction, but Derby were actually the last team to, to beat Reading, weren't they? So, I mean, in terms of how you feel the team is standing up to the losses of people like Michael Elise, how do you think Paunovic has done? Because as you say, people were, were calling for his head after a after a, a kind of mediocre to poor start. But it does seem actually he seems to... To, to fit with Reading and work within the constraints that he's been given, which which have been very challenging. Yeah, I mean, I think as Reading fans, we're often guilty of being a little bit fickle, myself included. Uh, if a manager's on a poor run, we're very quick to, to suggest they should be off. But um, we saw that, like you said, at the start of the season with Panovic. Um, but he's turned it around now, and again, he's back to his hero status. Um, we He's done very well given, you know, like we mentioned before, the financial restraints. We've only been able to sign uh, loan signings or free agents um, and not pay a massive contribution towards wages-wise. I believe we were capped at 8.5k a week. Um, so all of these players have, have come to Reading, some of them to try and re- restart, kickstart their careers again. 
the likes of Baba Rahman and uh, Danny Drinkwater. Uh, and Scott Dan coming in on a free, 34 years old, experience at the back, playing in the championship. So, you know, it's his first signings a year in. Everyone's very pleased with the with the way they've turned out and they've slotted straight into the team. Obviously, Halilovic has picked up a little injury. Um, but he's he's done really well and, and he deserves to be, he deserves all the plaudits at the moment um, because Reading are, you know, exceeding expectations, like you said. Well, it certainly will be an interesting watch tonight for all the Reading fans who will be hoping for another win to push them closer to the top of the table. What are your predictions for the Reading versus Blackpool game? Feel free to get involved by tweeting us at River Radio. The team will definitely be carrying some confidence after the win over Barnsley. Up next, we turn our attention to Wickham Wanderers and see how their last two matches have gone. been a busy week for Wickham Wanderers who had a 2-0 win over Doncaster last Saturday and a 0-0 draw against Rotherham last night. In the Doncaster match it was a quick start with a goal after just two minutes from Anthony Stewart. Uh, Bio Akifenwa doubled their lead in the 17th minute and it seemed that Wickham held up after a few significant pressure spells from Doncaster, but Doncaster just seemed too weak in front of goal. Listen to what veteran striker Bio Akifenwa had to say to Wickham's Alicia Povey after the match. Yeah, it was nice. Nice to score goals. I guess strikers always want to score goals. But for me, the main thing was, and I was conscious before the game, was to continue the momentum that we've got at the moment. And it was last minute, you know, congratulations to Volksy. Um, little princess, little baby Heidi came into the world. He gave me a text, so that was for you, Volksy. And little baby Heidi, give her a cuddle from Uncle B. Um, but yeah, that was for him because he gave me a nice little text. And that was most important for me was to continue this momentum because we're on a momentum at the moment. And yeah, to, to score is always nice, but the, the bigger thing was the three points. And the performances just seem to be getting better and better um, for the chairboys. What does that say about this squad and what we can achieve this season? And listen, I, I said it from the beginning. Um, it is a squad game. You know, we are a small squad, and you know, what I'm saying God, you know, God willing, no injuries and that. Literally, I, I think the ability and I think the togetherness, which is the most important, we have got it here. Um, and I think, fingers crossed, we we will be there thereabouts at the end of the season, and I can walk off into the sunlight. You know what I'm saying? With with a big ass smile on my face. <laughs> So Ben, what um, Ben? Sorry, Ed. Obviously, I'm used to having Ben here, who is our Wickham Wanderers correspondent usually, but we've got Ed instead. <laughs> Ed, what did you think of their performance against Doncaster? Well, I mean, they hit the ground running. You know, a goal after two minutes, tuning up in twenty minutes away from home. The thing about the you know, not just the championship, it, it's also, you know, leagues one and two as well, is that anyone can beat anyone on their day. It was a long way to go to Doncaster and they, they really did get the perfect start, Wickham. In fact, to be fair, a couple of weeks ago, obviously, they were 2-0 down at half-time to Morecambe at home and, and Gareth uh, Ainsworth said afterwards, you know, we, we got a bit of a uh, a bit of a kick in the backside with that one and we and we really needed to pull our socks up and that's exactly what they've done since. They've been fantastic. Um, and look, it was a great start and they managed to see the game out and then a nil-nil draw last night against Rotherham as well um, you know four points on the road two tough places to go I, I think they would have I think they would have taken that uh, before you know before the weekend so yeah good performance and you know back to uh, back to Adams Park for crew on Saturday and um, you know you, you'd back them in that one as well I think. Uh, Ed I was just going to ask I mean Gareth McCleary's uh, he's been brilliant for Wickham so far and he was involved again last night providing the assists 
for Akin Fenwar's goal. He's been in a rich vein of form recently, and how important has that been? Um, you know, recently he said that he wants to. He's been enjoying his football again since playing at Wickham. Yeah, I mean, Gareth McCleary is an interesting one because if you if you look at some of the players in that squad, you know, there are a fair few what you would regard as veterans in football terms. David Stockdale's 36, Joe Jacobson's about 34, Gareth McCleary, 34, Bayouac and Fenra, who, who got the second goal against Doncaster's 39 and has said this is his last season. So there's a lot of experienced heads in that dressing room. But at the same time, they're at the age whereby, you know, would they realistically be getting a game higher up or elsewhere? No disrespect to them personally because they're clearly good players and they're proving that on the pitch but I think in Gareth's case you know he's come to Wickham and he's really showing what he can do and and the great thing about it is that it does put other teams on the back foot I mean he scored against Gillingham within the first three minutes and it was a cracking goal and he scored a couple of those you know teams do fear him they know what he's capable of doing and you know he's got a real turn of pace about him his fitness is is for someone of his age you know you would never know he's absolutely ripped when he takes his shirt off at the end of a game and as you say he's, he's really enjoying his football and that's the great thing about Wickham there's a real sense of a team ethic and atmosphere Gareth Ainsworth has created a really fantastic environment for players to shine irrespective of their age they draw upon those experienced heads but at the same time they've got young players coming through as well but Gareth McCleary is a is a real asset to them and and I think is you know probably going to be in and amongst the the top goal scorers in the division I would imagine come the end of the season if he continues this fine vein of form yeah, well, after that strong win against Doncaster, Wickham then played again just three days later, this time against Rotherham. A 0-0 draw extends Wickham's unbeaten league run, but puts an end to their winning run. Uh, it won't be such a tough pill to swallow, though, for Wickham. However, as Rotherham have been on a good run of form, being unbeaten in seven league games. Wickham still have a place two spots above above Rotherham in the league with three points separating them. It's still all to play for. Listen to what Wickham Wanderers player Josh Scowen said after the match. Um, I'm not going to lie, it probably wasn't the most enjoyable game, but, you know, the boys, we dug deep and we battled hard and I think it's a good point in the end. I suppose coming up the M1 on, on that, that Friday, whenever it was, you're looking at the two games thinking actually four points probably wouldn't be a bad return and, and that's what you're taking home. Yeah, exactly. I think we're, we're happy with the four points. You know, obviously it would be nice to get six, but to come to go back home now, the home game on Saturday with four points, we're, we're in a good place. That was Josh Scowan from Wickham Wanderers talking to head of media Matt Cecil. Ed, questions are being fired to you once again as our Wickham expert. What did you make of the winning streak coming to an end against Rotherham? I think there was two ways to look at that. The, the winning streak on the one hand, you know, yes, did did come to an end. But on the other hand, you know, it was a, a, a valuable point away from home against opposition that worried with, the, with them in the championship, you know, last season. Rotherham are, are no pushover, certainly at this level. Um, I think it's a good point. I really do. Um, you know... Obviously, as as Josh said there, you, you want to go and get the win. But sometimes there's as much to be said from a resolute defensive display as there is from, from going in and nicking a goal. You know, at the end of the day, six points would have been great. But I think any Wickham fan worth their salt would have taken would have taken four on the road away from home to long journeys unless they were staying up there, which which brings its own complications. You're away from home for three or four days. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, two really good performances. And now they're coming back to Adams Park where the atmosphere has been great so far. They're on the longest winning run at Adams Park ever now I think it's seven games so Gareth Ainsworth and the team have, have broken that record and and crew are in the bottom three so you know you'd have to fancy them there so it's not a case of the winning run coming to an end for me it, it's more of an unbeaten run being extended
Yeah, most definitely. And it, I know it's still early in the league, and we say this every week. I was asking questions of Ben last week as well, but there's still lots to play for. But Wickham are sat third in the table. This must be putting ideas of playoffs or promotion, not just into the heads of the fans, but also maybe the players. Yeah, absolutely. And Gareth Ainsworth has been very, very clear from the get-go that, that that was the aim. You know, he didn't want to come down and just kind of consolidate what Wickham had. They came down with a squad that was far superior to the one they went up with. Um, and they knew that they could really punch their weight in their division this year. When they did get promoted previously, and when they were in those promotion spots for quite some time, they carried on a really good momentum but to be honest with you I think everyone was a bit surprised that they really did manage to see that through I mean even in the playoff final had they lost to Oxford I think Wickham fans would have kind of gone well you know we never really expected to be here but they not only managed to get promoted but they really made a firm fist of being in the championship as well not initially I think they won the first you know they won two games out of about 21 to, to begin with but they won five out of the final eight and they kept the majority of players that that got them that little run at the end and took them down into into league one so I don't think it is premature to be having that discussion because that's what Wickham want to be doing and they've said as much that the key is delivering on that and you know there have been one or two scares where maybe they haven't got quite the result you thought they might or they weren't quite as emphatic as you thought they would be but uh, yeah overall I don't think it's too early to be having the conversation but the difference is that the squad have got to see it through it's all well and good having that as a name but at the moment they're executing it they're on a good run of form and, and as I've said I, I firmly expect them to get a win on uh, on Saturday Ed uh, you mentioned that you know Wickham have got a few of the older players playing for them the likes of Gareth McCleary uh, Adebayo Akinfenwa Anthony Stewart and so on, and Joe Jacobson. I mean, uh, say Wickham do get promoted, they've got a very good squad on paper. What what happens next season when they, you know, they've got the same target of trying to stay in the championship and trying to, to you know, establish themselves as a championship side in the longer run? Um, but they will have a lot of sort of players who are coming towards the end of their career on their hands. Yeah, it's it's a very you know it's a very legitimate question, and you know other sides have have tried have tried a not dissimilar approach and, and occasionally come unstuck for it. Bayouac and Fenwell won't be there. This will be his last season. I think when you come to you know David Stockdale, goalkeepers have a you know have a longer shelf life anyway. I mean David Stockdale, it was his performances in the championship you know, six months ago that got him the, the number one jersey and mean that Ryan Allsop is now sitting on the bench at, at Derby County because they didn't renew Ryan Allsop's contract. In the cases of people like Joe Jacobson and Gareth McCleary, there will be a question to be asked. But at the same time, I think what Gareth Ainsworth sees in these players and why they're at the football club in the first place, why they're being signed in some cases at the age, you know, Gareth McCleary was signed at the age of 33, um, is because of what they bring in the dressing room. That's why Bayerwak and Fenner is still there. It's not because he goes out on the football pitch every week more often than not he doesn't it's it's what they bring in the culture in the dressing room that's so important and I put it to you that the the culture that they have in that Wickham dressing room would be as important as what some of those players are giving on the pitch and I think would have been massive in terms of them putting together that late run last year that saw them relegated by by a single point so you know I think it's a balancing act and it is a juggling act but what you'll also see is you'll see other players let go you know as will be the case at all football clubs there will be a lot of younger players let go and people will move on and and so on and so forth so it will be a balancing act for them if they do indeed get over that that big hurdle, which is to get themselves out of League One again. But I think it's one step at a time and that will be their primary focus right now. Well, we are definitely all looking forward to that kickoff between Wickham and Crewe and we wish them the best of luck and hopefully for Wickham to keep up their unbeaten streak and start a new winning streak. 
Up next, our attention turns to Maidenhead United, who after a sad start to the season, won against Hastings United in the FA Cup fourth qualifying round. Maidenhead United have not had the best start to the season, but has fortune changed for them? They beat Hastings United in the FA Cup uh, fourth qualifying round 3-1, but prior to that were winless for eight successive games. Sam Barrett managed an early goal, scoring in the third minute, while Kane Fernand, sorry, while Kane Fernand then managed to score on the half-hour mark to make it 2-0 to the hosts. Nathan Blissett then scored two minutes two minutes after half-time, to ensure Maidenhead United's spot. River Radio presenter Will Taylor caught up with Maidenhead United's assistant manager to find out his thoughts on their recent performance. Yeah, really, really good. Um, as I said in, in, in previous discussions, we weren't taking Hastings lightly whatsoever. Uh, good side, a team that I was able to see pre-season. Um, going really, really well in their league. Should have been promoted a few seasons ago anyway, so we knew how strong they were going to be. So um, to be able to win in the manner that we did, um, shows hopefully that we're back to winning ways now for good. How big is it for the club to see yourselves in the next round of the FA Cup? Oh, massive. Uh, a number of reasons. One, to get that feel-good factor around the uh, around the borough. Also, it's um, somewhere that we've never been before. We've had Port Vale. We've had a few other teams that we've got to the first round, but never been able to get past the first round into the second. So it's a chance for us now to really state our claim. The money side of things as well. We're a small club, so the, um, the money we managed to get those knockout rounds is going to be important to us. Pontefract or Halifax in the next round then. Were you potentially hoping for a slightly bigger draw with maybe sort of um, Football League opposition? I suppose so. I suppose so. I mean, essentially, we will take whatever it is that we're, we're given or whoever it is that we're given. Neither of these teams um, that are playing each other tomorrow night is going to be easy. And we're not taking any of those games lightly. But of course, when you're in the draw, you're hoping for one of the bigger teams. But it just means that we've got to win this next round and hopefully get another tie with a, with a big name. We played Halifax, I think it's the second game of the season. We managed to get a win. We haven't played Pontifex Warriors before. We don't know much about him, in fairness. But the moment that we find out which one of those teams are going to progress, we'll make sure we start doing our homework on them. Obviously, you're back in league action on Saturday against a very good Woking side. How are you feeling going into that one? We're on the back of a win. So um, the whole, whole feel-good factor is back. In fairness to us, regardless of not being able to get the victories that we've been looking for, the buzz around the training ground has never really left. I know there's been a lot of fracas in terms of when are we going to pick up another win why are we so low down in the table but um, we've got the right personalities in the group to be able to just maintain that, that feel good factor so going into this game on Saturday apart from it being a different kickoff time it doesn't necessarily matter that they've won 4-1 at Notts County we're not, we're not overly fussed about that we know they're a strong side we know they're going to be pushing for the playoffs coming into the season and it's just another chance for us to stamp our authority on another team who thinks they're just going to come over and roll over so we're not going to roll over is exactly what I'm trying to say here so um, come the game, Woking, whether it's Notts County, whether it's any big club, they're going to have to go some to be able to get a victory over us. They're, of course, a pretty free-scoring team. Four against Notts County, four against Torquay as well. Will the key to that one be shutting them down defensively? The emphasis has been for a while in trying to uh, cement goals from going into our, into our goal. Just being a little bit more defensively resolute. And it doesn't take three or four goals to win a game. Um, it's going to be no different from now to the end of the season. We have to make sure that we give ourselves a chance of winning games. And the only way we can do that is by making sure that we're not letting in too many in our own there. So we've got Sammy Barrett back on the score sheet. We've got Nathan Blissett back on the score sheet, making sure that our attackers only need to score one or two goals to win a game rather than having to dig us out of a hole that we've got ourselves into by letting in three or four. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Cheers. Well, that's obviously great news for Maidenhead to get a win under their belt. 
Ed, what do you think this means for the team kind of going forward? Obviously, they've got that confidence from from a win, obviously, previous losses and going forward back into the league matches. Well, let's have it right. I mean, I think as a player, you would you would know that you, you've beaten what were inferior opposition. They would have known that going in, but you can only beat what's put in front of you. And, and getting a wing was going to be so, so important for those players because it's a really difficult run they've been on. I think Ryan Peters said it there, you know, maybe eight games without without getting a win. And that's really, really difficult. As I say, you can only beat what's put in front of you. They won well. Good goal from Sam Barrett as well, who really should be, you know, targeting double figures, I think, in terms of his goal return. So it's huge for them. I think the, the key thing for this one it was it was a bit of a bit of a poison chalice in a way of a game because if you win it then I can sit there and say well you know inferior opposition if they'd lost it this would have been a real real problem for them because you've just lost to inferior opposition so the uh the ill effects of losing the game were going to outweigh the the effects of, of winning a game that you sort of expect them to win but um really good for them to, to win they needed maybe a breath of fresh air and almost a reset to to be in a different competition just for a change just to get that feeling back but um yeah very important very important to to stop the rot and uh, and get a positive result which they have done ed um speaking to the manager he mentioned that it's going to be uh halifax town or pontifact colliers sorry um, obviously, like you said, they've already got a win over Halifax already, um, and they don't know much about Pontefract Colliers. Um, a little bit lower down, I believe. Um, so, you know, it's not necessarily a bad draw, really, because there there is a chance that they could perhaps progress and, again, be looking at more money and then and maybe an even bigger team in the next round. Well, I think that's the way they do have to look at it. I mean, obviously, when you know you're in the hat and you could be playing league opposition and, and then you're not, there will be a little bit of disappointment there. But I think the draw had pretty much just been made when they did that interview. So Ryan hadn't necessarily reflected on it. But you're right, it does give you a better chance of, of going through. Look, a club like Maidenhead is is never going to win the FA Cup. That is not going to happen. Certainly not this season. The big deal for them will be what's the biggest opposition we can play and what is the best financial windfall we can get for the club, you know, in the case of Wickham Wanderers in the League Cup a few weeks ago, found themselves 1-0 up for about seven minutes at, at the home of the English champions and Champions League finalists in Manchester City. So, you know, whilst it would be a dream for Maidenhead to potentially go and, and play somewhere like that, for them going and playing league opposition, particularly if it ends up being somebody, let's say, in the Championship, you know, who who maybe can sell, you know, 20,000 tickets, that's absolutely huge. So it is a long game. I suppose the difference would be that if they'd got someone like that in the first round, potentially, then what they would be looking at um, would be a, a club, you know, and, and that would be almost guaranteed now already. Obviously, that's not on the table just yet. There's one more game to go. But, um, you know, look, you've, you've got to be positive. They're into the first round and, and that's important. Yeah, and this was obviously a cup match win for them, but they're still sat 18th in the league. What have they got to kind of do to take, take turn the, the rest of the season around? I mean, I think personally, for me, I think you've, you've got to realise first and foremost, it's a very long season at that level. You're talking 46 games. It's not been a good start for them and, and they've never shied away from saying that. They really haven't. But I sincerely do not think that they will be going down, irrespective of, of the odds being stacked against them in the sense they're one of the only part-time teams, you know, and so they can't pay as big money as, as other teams and they don't even practice or train as often by, by virtue of, of the situation they find themselves in. 
But at the same time, I sincerely believe there will be worse teams in that division who will go down before Maidenhead. Um, but I think they've got to stop telling themselves that they're in 18th position because if you continually judge what, what they should be doing by what they did last year, then you'll drive yourself a little bit mad. You know, we've said it so many times on this show. They lost Danilo Orsi. He scored 19 goals last year. You don't replace players like that terribly easily. Certainly not if you're trying to bring them up from lower down. But the other thing that you have to remember as well is that that would have affected how the opposition would have set up and played against them by virtue of the fact there was a dangerous striker on the loose at Maidenhead. That's not the case and hasn't been for some time in the last few games. So obviously teams have maybe been able to be a little bit more cavalier in their approach. Woking are going to be a tricky one. There's no doubt about that. But um, I think they need to you know, just take it one game at a time, which is almost certainly what they will be doing. Alan Devonshire is a really experienced manager. And to be perfectly honest with you, you know, this, this is something that eventually it, it will self-right. And hopefully the Hastings game is the catalyst to make that happen in the league as well. And obviously you mentioned they've got Woking this Saturday. What do you think they're going to take from the Hastings match and kind of use going forward? What, what do they have to do in this Woking match? I think they've just got to carry the momentum on. You know, as he was saying, Nathan Blissett scored, got back on the score sheet. Sam Barrett back on the score sheet. You know, hopefully that will give those players a little bit of confidence. And it was a positive result at the end of the day. And it was a good performance. You just got to carry that on. You know, to be perfectly honest, there's there's not much more to it than that. Just remember that you've broken the you've broken the run of games without a win. You have now won a game. And, you know, just do what you were doing before and, and try and try and enjoy playing and um, enjoy playing without the weight of that big run and, and wondering when you're going to get, you know, you're going to get a positive result. Because I think sometimes that almost plays on players' minds too much. They end up trying a little bit too hard, perhaps over-focusing and, and what have you. You know, it's just a case of more of the same, I think, for them. Well, it will certainly be interesting to see how Maidenhead United perform for the rest of the season. Hopefully we can see some more wins in the Cup and hopefully also in the league. Best of luck to Maidenhead. Up next, we're talking netball and finding out all about Eagles Netball Club in Maidenhead. Welcome back to Extra Time here on River Radio. It's coming up to halfway through. Actually, it's a little bit over halfway through uh, the show. And with that, we turn our attention to our second sport, netball, and in particular, the Eagles Netball Club in Maidenhead. The club is one of the top junior clubs in the country, with girls trialling for the squads from aged 11. Head coach Maria Damaro has helped three former players secure their places in top franchises, now playing in the Netball Super League. Those girls are Sophia Kandapa, who plays for Surrey Storm, and Hannah Joseph and Susie Liversidge, who play for Loughborough Lightning. The Eagles' current senior team currently have three out of three wins in the league and are placed joint top of the Netball South Open League Division 1, with the hope to play in the National Netball Playoffs. I caught up with the club coach, Tina Berenger, to find out more about the club and what it stands for in the community. Eagles and Netball Club were founded about 22 years ago by Maria Darmaro. And since then, she's been building the club and she now has a club that, that spans from years three all the way up to seniors. Um, so we, we have representation in all the local leagues and all the regional leagues from, from age, well, the competitions from age 11 all the way up to seniors. So it's, it, the club's growing. And kind of how is the club set up? 
Yeah, so we've got a, a website that's available for people to go and have a look at. What they can do is they can ask to come, just come along for some trial sessions, see how they like it. Coaches will always give the feedback as to whether they think Eagles the right club for them. If it's not, then we will always offer um, ideas of other local clubs that we think they might be better suited towards. And if I was a young player coming in aged 11, what what can I expect in terms of training? Eagles is um, a competitive club. You know, we haven't got to where we've got to the spot without training hard and working hard. Um, so the expectation would be that the, the we call them athletes, so the girls are athletes, that they, they come to training, train hard, they do things outside training to keep fit, to their skills up um, and equally you know we will reinvest our time in them to help them progress either remaining in club or going through the pathway through county up to franchise and even into the Rangers Academy which is where we've got three girls at the moment. We we instill the ethos of, of competitive netball but from the from the moment they arrive and how important it is for them to for them for them to achieve success, they have to put the work in. We don't look at them at age six, seven, eight, all the way up to 15, and we think they're not going to make the Rose Academy. You know, there's still a place for them in the club. You know, we've got three girls in the Rose Academy. That's three, girl, that's three girls out of, uh, uh, you know, we've got 200 members. So, you know, we're not just looking at the Rose Academy. We're looking at getting the best out of our girls so that they represent the club, they represent the county, they represent the region. So we want to have good representation at all levels, um, but we want to get the best out of the girls. So would you say that the club is um, perfect for those kind of stepping stones and for those who want to play competitive netball um, and maybe progress it further? Yeah, definitely, definitely. We're always looking for new talent. So, yeah, anyone that's interested, get on the website and come and have some trial sessions with us. Just looking at the Eagles 1 team at the moment, the senior team, and they're currently top of the league. They are joint tops. You only have three matches this season, but three out of three wins for them so far. Yeah, all, all our teams are doing really well at the moment. I, th- I think we're pro- I think we might be sitting at the top of nearly all the tables that we're, we're competing in at the moment, or joint top, like you say, because there's only been a few a few matches so far in this season. Uh, but that is, you know, our senior teams in particular, they have been consistent for many, many years, finishing at the top of the league. And then they, what they would do is they would go through the national playoffs. And unfortunately, in COVID, there haven't been those playoffs. So we haven't been able to break through into that national league yet. We're hoping that um, this year we'll, we'll get the opportunity to do it. But, you know, it's still the beginning of the season. There's lots of amazing teams out there. So, uh, you know, we, we're not going to count our chickens. We'll just have to keep working hard to the end of the season and hopefully be at the top of the table. So is that the kind of ambition is get most of the teams to the top of the tables and especially Eagles 1 and then they can play in the, the playoffs and kind of progress further into the national divisions? That's right. We, so obviously, once you have a team that breaks through, we can move other teams up into the regional open teams. You can't have two two Eagles teams in one division, so we need to have the spread across them all. And looking forward now, well, we've just come out of the pandemic. Sort of, you mentioned those national playoffs, but broader, broadly speaking, what are sort of the club's ambitions for the future? So um, obviously, we want success as a club, but we 
aren't successful are girls as individual athletes. And just to take a step away sort of from Eagles and talk about netball as a sport, what sort of attributes do you look for in a person? What is going to take someone from a sort of good netball player to an excellent netball player? So they've got to want to, that's the first thing, they've got to want to put the work in. Okay, you know, even girls who've got all those natural attributes, if they don't train, if they don't have the right attitude, then they're not going to make it. They're not going to make it because they're not going to be good enough. And they're also not going to make it because coaches and selectors won't want those girls who don't put the effort in. So that's what makes a good athlete. And obviously putting the work in, but sort of on the field, what sort of it entails for the athlete, for the girl? So. Unfortunately, netball does have this stereotype of being a girly sport with no contact. You can't run with the ball, and you know you always you hear you hear a lot of people um, taking the mickey out of netball as a sport. Um, but I challenge all of those people to just go on YouTube and find um, national netball, super netball, international netball. Look at the Australians, look at the New Zealand players, look at our own players playing at that competitive level and they will change their minds. It is a fierce sport now. There's a lot of contesting that is allowed, part of the rules now. So uh, I think there's a lot to be learned from watching a, watching a good netball match. Your work with Surrey Storm alongside Eagles, sort of what does that entail? Is that a, a, the next level up? So that's, that's the franchise. So that's part of the pathway for them to get up to the Roses Academy. So, um, Surrey Storm work in partnership with Berkshire County. So very close relationship. So the, the natural progression is which sort of like a graduation as you go from Berkshire County into Surrey Storm. And then from Surrey Storm, girls would get spotted for to be invited to the positional games for the Roses. So, for example, we had six Eagles girls representing Surrey Storm at the recent school games and one of our girls was spotted at the under 15 school games and invited to the positional roses day and now in the academy so so Surrey Storm is it is so the franchises are separate to club but they work very closely together as well so we work in partnership with county and with club I mean, it's really important that we all um, support the athletes from different angles, but in the same way, so that we're not fighting against each other. So it's really important to have that close relationship to get the best out of the athlete, because ultimately, the better the athlete, the better it is for the club as well. What a great club there in Maidenhead, and Tina, thank you very much for getting in touch with us as well. Um, Just their setup when I was speaking to Tina was just unbelievable they're they're obviously cruising through their leagues at the moment and doing well it's obviously the opening start to the season kind of ed and jacob what do you sort of know about netball in the area do you know much i mean if you're going to condense it down to in the area not as much as i probably could do but netball as a sport um more than you might think because i i worked at the the netball world cup in 2019 which was held in liverpool and the experience was, it was fantastic. It was so, so good. I think anybody, I've said it before, anyone who, who likes sport per se couldn't watch any sport played well. And, you know, it doesn't get any better than watching the World Cup final going on literally six feet away from you. And at that level, 
it is just mesmerising to watch. It's such an entertaining sport played well. And and one thing that is very clear from that interview, Eagles play it very, very well. I mean, I've got a question for you, incidentally, which is how important do you think it is to have a club of that stature in the area? Because I've also gone and, and worked at, at tournaments for, you know, under-16s, under-18s for England. And Eagles are there, and Eagles are a presence, just as much as, as a few other clubs on the map in netball are a real presence. How important do you think that is for the area? Yeah, well, I think it's absolutely fantastic the way that Tina was speaking about how they can come in. They have under-nine training and you can start at that sort of age. But actually, at the age 11, you can start playing more competitively. But they don't just support those who want to make it as a career. They support everyone and it's sort of a community aspect to it as well. But they're still there to support you if you do want to take it that step further. And it's really kind of testament to them that they can take girls who maybe haven't played um so much and really drive them forward maybe even taking them to the franchises and further than that it's, it's a really good setup they have especially with the with the building blocks and the partnerships they have with Berkshire County and Surrey Storm as well where they can kind of guide the players to somewhere it's not that when you finish at seniors or under 18s you've got nowhere to go they can push you that one step further and it's yeah really I think a really good um club to have in the area well we certainly heard what I know about netball Jacob what, what do you know about netball uh, I can't really compete with your your 2019 netball world cup unfortunately to be clear I was uh, working I wasn't playing <laughs> that's that just be very Long clear hair, about that maybe <laughs> maybe maybe no I I don't know an awful lot about netball um Found out quite a bit when I was looking through the research and stuff. Um, but I did. I played a little bit. Um, I played a little bit when I was in sixth form and competitively, uh, just as a sort of competition thing. But um, but no, not an awful lot, unfortunately. But I do have a question, uh, Maria. Yes. I was going to say uh, regarding the Eagles. How can people get involved with the club if they want to? So if they want to get involved, Tina was very uh, adamant that they check out their website because they have a lot of open days, they have a lot of trials. And she said, look, as with many sports, there's lots of clubs out there. If you come along to Eagles um, and maybe you don't find it a fit, maybe you don't like their style of coaching, she was like, we are more than open to sending them to other clubs in the area as well. So it's, it's more of a, they want to get people involved in netball and they want to get people playing netball more, more girls and kind of getting the word out there as well. So they really wanted to kind of strive that forward that even if you come to them and you don't live in Maidenhead, you just want to come out and find more, find out more about netball, that you can really do that. And, yeah, they have a lot of open day trials and stuff like that that you can head down to and they're more than willing to accommodate you. So it does seem actually then it's more about, you know, whether or not you're a good fit for the club and the club is a, is a good fit for you, which is a really refreshing way of, of looking at it. Because I think elite clubs so often it just seems to be if you're not good enough, then we'll see you later. Whereas, you know, to, to offer that it seems to be really important, I would say. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really nice, encouraging thing for, for any sort of athlete to go into that environment where you understand that they care about you and they care about what you're aspirations are in the sport if you're there to have a social life and have some fun and play some competitive netball every so often they're there for that and they're also there for you if you want to work on your drills and you want to get better at a specific pass or a shot and 
the tactical side of the game as well. They're really there any age group, and she she said they don't discriminate. You can come at any sort of age. You don't have to start at their under eleven program. You can join at eighteen, seventeen. She did mention that it is quite competitive <laughs> as they are such a good club and they are currently top of their leagues. But that it's a it's a it's a vicious kind of sport as well, and it's not for those who maybe perhaps just want to. It is a competitive sport and you know there's all these stereotypes about netball and that it's a little bit of a girly sport and, and those kind of things and she said you just come down to to a professional match or a, even a performance match and you'll see kind of the standard that's being played there. But yeah, we are definitely glad to see netball finally getting the recognition it deserves and we do definitely hope to see more of it on the TV very soon. And I think one last thing I wanted to say that is if you are very skeptical skeptical about the game of netball, if you turn on the TV and you watch it and you watch the England Roses, you'll find how fast-paced, tactical and physical the game really is. And we kind of, from everyone at River Radio, we wish the Eagles the best of luck in their upcoming league campaigns and hope that they can reach the national playoffs. And up next, we're talking tennis in our Hot Topic section. <laughs> Welcome to Hot Topic, the part of the show where we talk about headline sports news outside of the Thames Valley area. This week, it seems only fitting to discuss tennis and the recent British success at Indian Wells. Cameron Norrie is the new British number one. He's ranked 16 in the world and now a Masters 1000 champion. For those of you that don't know tennis so well, outside of the four Grand Slams are a host of tournaments all over the world with different points ranking. Indian Wells is a Masters 1000, which is considered the next best tournament after a Grand Slam, and it definitely proved that in standard, with all the big tennis names playing, including Stefanos Tsitsipas, Grigor Dimitrov, Alexander Zverev, and of course our very own Cameron Norrie. Norrie played some outstanding tennis to be crowned champion in California. It is some feat after only turning professional four years ago. The final saw him play against Bas... I always pronounce this name wrong. Basilasvili. <laughs> it's so difficult. Um, of Georgia and defeating him in a three-set victory to make him the first ever British champion at Indian Wells. Norrie claims he was inspired by Emma Raducanu's victory. Ed... A great victory for Cameron Norrie. It's absolutely huge. And it seems that, you know, not just with his victory, but also with that of Raducanu, that the British tennis is, is kind of on the up for, for what feels like the first time in a long time. I'm old enough to remember when Andy Murray kind of broke through and was, was 18 years old and he was uh, very very bolshy in his um, in his press conferences. I certainly remember uh, an American journalist very early on when he was eighteen or nineteen saying to him, "How does it um, how does it feel to be the best thing to come out of British tennis in so long?" And he said, "Well, Tim Henman's pretty good, um, <laughs> you know." So he, yeah. he really wasn't taking you know he wasn't taking any prisoners in in that regard. But it does feel like since Andy Murray, who has carried the hopes of the nation on his shoulders for such a long time, and obviously he's had these really difficult injury problems, you know, the the men's game certainly has been has been really desperate for, for someone British to come through and, and fill that spot. It looked like it might be Kyle Edmund. Obviously, he got through to the Aussie Open. Was it the Aussie Open final a little while ago or the semi-final? semi-final. He got really, really close. Um, but he hasn't really stepped up and filled that void in the way that many thought he would. And who knows, maybe it is Cameron Norrie, but 
it's huge for it's huge for British tennis, and and they're riding the crest of a of a wave right now, which is fantastic. I mean, you obviously explained there that the Indian Wells, and I know tennis is very much your kind of guilty pleasure, shall we say? Obviously, the, the bigger game than the one that you very much specialise <laughs> in these days. But I mean, for you personally, obviously Cameron Norrie has now come out and is getting a lot of traction in the media and is talking about his aspirations, which are very lofty. Um, and fair play to him for that. I mean, he's been pro for for only four years. How far do you think he can go in the game? And how much of a springboard could this be for him? Well, I think this is a huge springboard for him. I think uh, a breakthrough like that and a tournament win like that with such amazing names um, playing alongside him. You've got the world number three, the world number four playing there. That Okay, maybe he didn't play all of them, but at the same time, he's competing at that level. He's, he's playing people who have beaten those number three and four. So he is competing up against them. I mean, he is 26 years old, which is, relatively speaking, not that old, but still pushing on kind of not where most breakthroughs happen. They mainly happen around the age 19, 20, 21. Um, I mean, Emma Raducanu at 18 as well has, has hit a breakthrough. But I think there is this real drive. And I think he said he was inspired by Emma Raducanu's victory. And I think I think a lot of people are going to be inspired by that. And I think that he can definitely kind of use that and use what he's done in Indian Wales to gain some sort of confidence he can win those titles and he can go further and now I think it's all about how he performs at the Grand Slams obviously the Grand Slams are the the big four the the tournament that every tennis player wants to win so if he can start making some progress and start beating top 10 players regularly then I think we'll see a lot more of Cameron Norrie I'm aware we're rapidly running out of time, but let's quickly have a word on Emma Raducanu because she also competed at Indian Wells since that win in the US Open, which, let's face it, was was one of the purest underdog stories that you're, you're ever going to see, certainly on a tennis court and probably in the sporting world per se. It, it's not quite happened for her, has it? Do you think it's it's a little bit... You know, it all—it's all a bit much for her at the moment. I mean, she's not even working with the coach that she that she worked with that got her through and and helped her to to win the U.S. Open. What's going on there? Well, I think it's it's quite difficult. She is eighteen. She was unknown. She was an unknown girl before this. No one knew. No one had heard of her before Wimbledon, really, had they? And so to kind of do something like that is is incredible, and it's a lot to take in for for us fans. For her, it must be. She's got two million followers on Instagram. You know, it's all her world is opening up, and it's it's it might be becoming too much. I obviously can't speak how she's thinking and feeling, but I can imagine what that sort of pressure is going to be like. She is the one to beat now. She's the last Grand Slam champion at the U.S. Open. She's going to be going back to that tournament as the defending champion. It's sort of. It might be a little bit too much. There's there's a lot of, yeah, maybe she hasn't found her groove yet. Maybe she hasn't found the person that she wants to work with full time. And it's all about sort of setting those building blocks. And it seems a little bit like it was all up in the air. This was so unexpected and not kind of going to happen for her. And then all of a sudden it did happen. And, and she's not really got the structure in place to take it that next step further. She hasn't got those sort of implementations maybe the training program that say when Serena Williams was winning all the Grand Slams had in place and she had that in place and I think it's going to take Emma Raducanu a little bit of time might take her a year she's an outstanding tennis player she she showed that to the world so she can definitely do what she needs to do and come back on the court but to go and and win first round might be a bit of a disappointment for her in the Indian Wells and yeah, I think it is 
mentally more than physically going to be a, a real challenge for her and I, I I guess we just kind of wish her the best of luck and and I kind of want her to burst out on the scene again and and perform well at the, the next Grand Slam. To what extent do you feel that the biggest if you like um drawback to the whole scenario is the scrutiny that by virtue of her success she's inadvertently invited to be upon her because it feels like if anything that scrutiny when she's in that situation like you say we're talking about somebody who was completely unknown suddenly being thrust into the limelight and the expectation has gone from naught to 60 as quick as a, a blink almost do you think that that scrutiny actually could hinder her a little bit in terms of her progress just because the amount of pressure she's facing as an 18 year old she's already said herself i need to cut myself some slack which when you think about it is completely understandable yeah i think she does need to cut herself some slack in my opinion she's not been having it's all been good press i've not seen so much bad press yes there's a lot of pressure if she starts losing more I would kind of like to see what articles are, are being written about that and kind of see how she handles sort of the bad side of the press because at the moment she's this huge phenomenon that's that's come out of, of nowhere and it's great and it's absolutely... Nothing will ever take that away from her. She, she did the incredible. But at the same time... What's going to happen if she if she can't kind of compete to that level again? She's not getting the wins she wants to get. We we all want her to to do well, and we all want to see her go go further in her career. And I just hope that that she's not thinking too much about the outside pressure. Yes, she may be only eighteen, but in my opinion, this is the time that she can cultivate what she's already proved proved to the world that she's such an amazing tennis player at eighteen. She now has a span of ten years to continue proving that she is the be- one of the best in the world. And I think she can really do that. And I think if she works hard, obviously she is, and, and she can go forward and, and kind of dominate more. And I, I guess we'd like to see that. But, yeah, I mean, amazing from Cameron Nori, and we wish the best for Emma Raducanu as well, and I hope we get to see them both play very soon, and Andy Murray as well, who hasn't had the, the best form so far. But yes, up next, it's the infamous Predictions League. Well, it's coming to the end of the show, so you know what that means. Yes, it's the biggest sporting spectacle in the country. It's the infamous River Radio Predictions League. We're on week three of the new month, which means the results are piling in. Thankfully for myself, I'm currently joint top with Ed and Will. Um, Following last week's predictions, uh, we're all on five points, but right down at the bottom of the table is Sam on one point. I would like to mention that Sam is not here because he is sunning it up in Barcelona, so this is probably the last thing on his mind right now. You say that, fair play to him, because he sent me his predictions for this week, this morning. Oh, that's pretty good, that's pretty good. Um, And as Ed mentioned earlier, a special shout-out to Abby Tysers, our Reading woman correspondent, who managed to score four points in one round, which is the most anyone has managed to do in the existence of the league. A quick reminder of the rules. Each week, a member of the team picks out a set of fixtures due to take place in the coming days, with each player making predictions for the outcome of each. A completely correct prediction earns a player three points, whilst correctly forecasting the outcome, i.e. the winner and loser, earns one. Failure to do either naturally wins no points. This week's fixtures include hockey and football um, and ice hockey and basketball. So let's quickly, quickly go around and see... um, 
what our panellists have done. We'll start with the first one is uh, England women versus Northern Ireland. Uh, Jacob, what have you got for that? Uh, I've got England women to win 3-1. 3-1. I've gone, I've gone slightly bigger in terms of scoring. I've gone with 5-0. The last time these two met, I think, was back in, it's either February or April. I can't remember which. And England won 6-0. They're back at Wembley for the first time since Wembley reopened itself. Um and I think, you know, the pressure will be there. But, uh, yeah, I'm going with a, a 5-0. And then we've got uh, Westcombe versus Maidenhead Rugby. I've got uh, Maidenhead to win 25-12. I've also gone for a Maidenhead win, but I've gone with 26-14. I've gone with 25-16. And as we're running out, um, we've got Thames Valley Cavaliers and Dragons. Who have you got to win, Jacob? Uh, Thames Valley Cavaliers. Incidentally, I've got Cavaliers. In fact, everybody has picked the Cavaliers oh, well, for this one. Everyone's got the Cavaliers. And then finally, we've got ice hockey, Streatham versus Queen Bees. Jacob? Queen Bees uh, beat Streatham 5-2. I've gone with 7-1 to the Queen Bees. Oh, I've gone a 3-2-1 to the Queen Bees as well. I mean, that is a wrap for today's extra time. Just once again, we have moved our time one hour later. Um, and if you want to catch up on any of our episodes, head over to the podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify. We also 